Imagine an army about to go to war, but there isn't a single officer available. No one to give orders, no one to help identify the threats, no one to assess the enemy, no one to decide and explain tactics, no one to deploy the right units to the correct locations, no one to oversee supply chains, no one to instill and maintain discipline amongst the ranks, and the myriad of other things which make a fighting force effective. The soldiers in the ranks may well be willing and able. They may have all kinds of ideas. But without any authoritative oversight, with each man chipping in with his own thoughts and ideas and suggestions about how things ought to be done, we can very easily imagine how the whole situation can just disintegrate into ineffective chaos with splinter groups running off hither and thither, doing their own thing, thinking they know best. That's a pretty good picture of what's going on amongst the churches on the island of Crete. And Paul has left Titus on the island to sort things out, to put things in order. Verse 5, this is why I've left you there. Set in order the things that are lacking. Appoint elders in every city, as I commanded you. Uh, exactly how many churches were there on the island of Crete? Well, we don't know. Several? Several dozen. Certainly more than one. But elders are required in every city, wherever the Lord's people are, elders are needed. The thing that these churches are lacking, Paul knows, can be put right with effective leadership, godly leadership, the way God intended and the way the apostle lays out for us in the scriptures. Things need to be set in order. Uh, the NIV approaches it from the angle of something which has been left undone, which needs to be completed there's something that a church needs if it's to function properly. And that's a team of elders who have spiritual oversight and authority within the church. Note, it's not an elder in every city, it's elders in every city. And notice what Paul says at the end of verse 5. As I commanded you. This is a command from God. Remember what we said about Paul this morning, who he is as an apostle. He is bringing the very word of God to the situation. It's a command of God that elders be appointed in every church. It's not just a good idea. It's not an option as to how a church might be. It's God's command that elders be appointed in every church, wherever the Lord's people are to be found. And Paul encourages Titus to stand firm in those things that Paul has already made clear to him. As I commanded you. This isn't new. We mentioned that this morning. But it's a, a reminder bringing Titus uh, that encouragement and boldness that he needs. 
in order to do that which is necessary amongst the Lord's people in this place. Titus now has biblical warrant for what he needs to do. You read 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. Peter makes it clear there that the writings of the Apostle Paul are being placed alongside Scripture and being considered as such and given equal weight and authority. Titus has Scripture now to support him in all that he needs to do. We have that same biblical warrant today for what we need to do. And he's to appoint elders. And as you can see in verse 6, it talks about if a man is blameless. Uh, you'll have noticed in this church, as in most evangelical churches, um, that hold to the historic Christian faith, elders are men. There's good biblical reason for that. We don't have to go... We don't have time to go into that in great detail this evening. I'll mention a few things uh, shortly. Uh, but these men are to be put in place. Now that might mean that all the ladies and at least some of the men who think, well, I'll never be an elder, uh, automatically shut down at this point and think, well, these next few verses have nothing to do with me, but they have everything to do with you. They have everything to do with you because as a member of a church, one day you will have to decide who should be appointed as elders in a church. Won't you? You need to know what it's all about. And it has everything to do with you because as we saw this morning at the end of verse 1, the truth that we've been given by God has a purpose. And the purpose is that in every Christian, God's truth should produce godliness. And actually what we're going to see in verses 5 to 9 is a description of godliness. So actually all of you need to consider the things that are about to be said because these things ought to be seen in every Christian. They're absolutely necessary in those who are going to be appointed as elders. But these are Christ-like things. These are godly things that every Christian should desire to see in their own life. So everyone needs to stay awake. This isn't just for certain men. This is for the whole church. We all need to hear this. So prick up your ears and take notice as to what Paul has to say to his great son in the faith, Titus. And one, <clears throat> one of the things we notice straight away by the things that are listed here, just as he mentions to Timothy in the first letter to Timothy, we notice that when you're thinking about prospective leaders, what you don't ask is, what can they do? The question you ask is, what are they like? That's the question to ask. Because you see, we are to consider first of all, not their capabilities, but their character. And for you as a Christian, as you grow in faith, first of all, it's not about what you can or can't do. It's about your character. This isn't about their gifts. It's about their graces. It's not about their charisma. It's about their consistency. And all of those things apply to you, Christian brother and sister. Now, the list that Paul gives to Titus is not quite as full 
as that given to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you want to go back and, and have a look, some extra things are mentioned in 1 Timothy 3, but I'm not going to add those in this evening because we've got more than enough for our consideration in Titus chapter 1. But you can have a look at the extra things and see that really he's just fleshing out a little bit more of the things that are already being said here. Now, as I've said, you'll see first of all that that Titus is to appoint men to this role. Uh, Now, this whole issue of uh, the leadership of men in the church, of course, some will argue that this is just a cultural thing for Paul's day. This is just something that you had to take into consideration in New Testament times. But times have changed. Cultures have changed. And so we can change on this particular issue. But Paul, here and elsewhere, clearly affirms the biblical position of the headship of men, not the supremacy of men, the headship, those who bear responsibility under God. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, uh, amongst other places, that the man is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the man as the Father is the head of the Son. Talking about God the Father and God the Son. In God the Father and in Christ, we discover two in the Godhead who are equally and fully God. In every respect. And yet the Father is said to be the head of the Son. And God has been pleased to replicate that relationship between men and women as a reflection of himself. So we should glory in it and we should love it. Because we ourselves are a reflection of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Now this does not mean in any sense at all, because... This commandment in verse 6 is a point is looking at men. This does not mean that women become passive bystanders or passengers in a local church. Far from it. As we'll see in chapter 2, women have a vital and full role to play in the life of the church. And actually, we'll discover in chapter 2 that a lot of the things that are directed towards men, exactly the same things are directed towards the women. But first, elders are to be appointed, Titus, so that churches are places of orderliness and where the truth is maintained and guarded and proclaimed. So a number of things that we see, aren't there? First of all, he talks about a man being blameless. It's mentioned in verse 6. It's mentioned again in verse 7. There you'll notice the word bishop is used. still just means elder, the The Bible uses bishop, elder, overseer, pastor, really all referring to the same position and role within the life of the church. Blameless, not sinless. Thankfully, where would you find such a man? Not sinless, but blameless. All the qualities which follow should be consistent in this man. Uh, The Greek word is kind of not arrested, nothing in his life that is needing rebuke. 
No elder will never be perfect. No elder will never make a mistake. But you to seek out men who, despite their failings and weaknesses, have demonstrated themselves to be consistent. Never brought great shame upon the name of Christ or dishonor to the name of God. Men who are and will be good examples for others to follow. Men who, when they do get things wrong, in great humility, demonstrate their maturity in the faith by sorting out those problems biblically and doing it promptly. Men who'll humbly acknowledge when they've made a mistake and immediately seek to put it right. Men who themselves will readily forgive others. Men who will not let you down. More importantly, men who will not let Christ down. Very interesting standing here as an elder preaching about elders like this. It's quite exposing. And Paul provides a list of qualifications, which we'll put under three broad headings. And the three broad headings are these, sexual fidelity, family leadership, and uprightness. And remember, this is for all of us. This is for all of us. Sexual fidelity, verse 6. Blameless, the husband of one wife. Well, there's quite a lot being said about that expression. Lots of interpretations and applications. You'll find people who have different uh, ideas about this. I want to say my own personal conviction is that all of these things are talking about a man after he's been converted. Once he's saved. The Apostle Paul, as, as Saul of Tarsus, he was a man who had the blood of Christians on his hands. But once he'd been converted, once he'd been transformed by the power and grace of God, that did not disbar him from being appointed as an apostle in the church. He was a murderer. But all things have passed away when you're a Christian and all things have been made new. My personal conviction is that these things are talking about the life of a man since he's been converted, since he's professed faith in Christ the husband of one wife. Men who are guilty of any kind of sexual indiscretion are barred from eldership. Serving elders who fall into sexual sin must be removed from eldership. They have no place there. Can such men be restored and forgiven? Yes if they repent and if they show adequate works of repentance yes they may be restored yes they may become useful to God again yes they may have a place in a local church but they cannot serve as an elder the husband of one wife a one woman man a man who has only eyes for one woman and she is his wife. This doesn't mean you have to be married, I don't believe. But it's laying down a standard of sexual fidelity. The way God would have us behave sexually as men and women. 
if a man has been unfaithful to his wife, is he going to remain faithful to Christ and the church? So elders need to be impeccable role models for Christian marriage, devoted to their wife, have love only for their one wife. And that fidelity is to be exampled and to be found throughout the whole church. And leading on from that, having raised the subject of marriage, he, he talks about family leadership. Family leadership. There are many similarities you see between being the head of a home and being the head of a church in terms of being an elder, having that headship. If it were not so, it would not be given to us here by, for comparison and it would serve no purpose as a qualification for such men. Uh, what is his home like? What is your home like? Husbands, what is your home like? Wives, what is your home like? Children who may live in a home and you're the only Christian there. Your mum and dad may be aren't. How do you seek to be different in your home life? Is home life ordered, <clears throat> orderly? Is it Christ-centred? Does his relationship with his wife live out and flesh out the Bible's requirement that he loves his wife like Christ loved the church? Here's a man who would do anything for his wife. Are his children well behaved and morally upright? Do they respect and honour him? Some say that this is saying that the, the man's children must be believers. I'm not convinced by that at all. But do his children respect him? Are they clearly, even if they're not believers, are they clearly children who've been brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? You can see that moral character in them because of the upbringing they've been given. Is he someone who leads family prayer? Is he someone, if he has children, who opens up the word of God to his children? If he's not doing these things in his, in his home, how can you expect to appoint him to do these things in the church? Is he a faithful and godly husband and father? Are you? Will you be? Are you determined that you will be? Some of you are still single. Are you taking note of what it means to be a husband, to be a wife? Are you taking note of what the scriptures lay down for you? Are you praying that should the Lord one day bless you with a husband or with a wife, that you'll be a godly husband, a godly wife? Uprightness, uprightness, blameless as a steward of God. All the things that God has blessed him with in his life, 
He's a faithful steward of each one. He doesn't take any of them for granted. He doesn't abuse them. He doesn't misuse them. And he seeks to employ all of those things for the glory of God and in his service. A man like that. Men, does that describe you? Character. There was a time when it used to be important in politics, character. There was a time when the slightest indiscretion and a, government in, a minister in the government would immediately resign and stand down. Immediately. No second thought. Today they'll stand there and bring their excuses and bring you their half-hearted remorse and just carry on. Character. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, you may not agree with his politics. Many, many people don't. But it's interesting, isn't it, how a man like Jacob Rees-Mogg, as an example, earns the respect of those, even though they wholeheartedly disagree with his politics, he earns their respect. Why? Because they can see in him a man of certain character. It's important. People notice how much more Christian men and women. How much more should people notice in you something about their character, something about the way they tick, something about the way they think, something about the way they, th they think, something about the way they feel, something about the way they deal with me. It's just something about them. It's not the same. Character. It's really important. Five knots. Not, number one, self-willed. Got to be like Paul, a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Slaves don't have the opportunity or the, the privilege of being self-willed. Seeking their own way, satisfaction of self, gratification of self. In the world, not being self-willed is often viewed as weakness. But in the Christian church, it's to be elevated. In the world, people will tread all over others in order to get to the top. Not in the church. Not self-willed. Someone who's given themselves to the will of God. Someone who's submissive and humble and meek. Not quick-tempered. Not quick-tempered. Not someone of who if criticised is immediately, the heckles are going to rise and the steam is already starting to come out of their ears. These such men can't be in leadership of the church. Not quick-tempered. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, says James in chapter 1. Someone who can keep himself under control even in the hardest situation. Someone who can act with grace. Someone who stays on an even keel. Not given to wine. Now this means, not that they have to be teetotal, it's literally not staying near wine. What it means is, you mustn't be someone who can't live without it. 
An elder must have no need of being lost in a drunken stupor, as many do today. An elder is one who is always to be in permanent control of his faculties. An elder cannot be a man who can't get through the day unless he has a drink. Can he? Of course he can't. He's not given to wine. He needs to be able to discern and practice what Paul teaches in Romans 14 concerning foregoing things that he's at liberty to do. He's perfectly at liberty to drink wine. Of course he is. But he must not be given to it. That's the issue. It will not do for any Christian, and it certainly will not do for an elder in a church, to give the impression that alcohol is an indispensable part of his coping mechanism. You, you can't be there, can you, as a Christian? I've got Christ and his word for that. I've got the Holy Spirit within me for that. I don't turn to the things that the world turns to, to cope. I don't turn to the things that the world turns to, to drown my sorrows. I've got something far better. And I'm going to model that to the Lord's people. I'm not going to give myself to those kinds of things. Not violent. You'd think that surely doesn't even need to be said. Apparently in, in, in Crete it did. Not violent. Not one who erupts and explodes. Not one who meets out abuse on another. Someone who has no aggression. Someone who can be kind, gentle. Paul once said, I, I was like a, a nursing mother to you. That's a, that's a leader in the Lord's church. An elder can't be a man who the elders fear and are intimidated by. An elder isn't a man who gets his way in the church simply because everyone's frightened of him. No place for that kind of leadership, is there, in the Church of Christ? Not greedy for money. The AV has a wonderful phrase, filthy lucre. Sounds great, doesn't it? And it includes not just greed for money, but not making money falsely. No dodgy dealings. No Arthur Daly's make elders in churches. Some of you don't know who Arthur Daly is. You can ask someone who does later. You can't be a dodgy person with money if you're an elder in a church. As a Christian, you can't be dodgy with money. No dishonesty, no lack of integrity. Dodgy dealings and dubious practices have no place in Christ's church. You'll find them aplenty in the world, but not amongst the Lord's people. And these things are to be modelled and exampled by godly men. You see, it's all about godliness. It's the truth of God's Word producing godliness in a man, in a woman. Is it producing it in you? Is it producing it in me continually, still? So there's five don'ts and there's seven do's. We're only going to go through them very, very, very quickly. Hospitable. Hospitable, a love of strangers. 
Now, one of the things that's great, whenever strangers walk in through these doors on a Sunday, there's a good number of people in this church who are hospitable towards them. You might think that means you've got to take them home and give them a meal. Well, you can do that by all means. That's wonderful. But just to make them feel welcome, the moment they walk in through the door, there's a stranger amongst us. We've got to love them and make them welcome amongst us and get to know them and find out about them. Hospitable. It also means one who very readily and openly makes his resources available for others. What's mine is yours. Hospitable. It's a wonderful character, a lover of what is good. Does this person have good friends? Does he make good decisions? Is his life surrounded by good and noble things? Is everything about him and his lifestyle wholesome? A lover of what is good. Never hear him talking about things that are questionable. His conversation is always wholesome and sound and encouraging. Everything about him echoes that. And he's sober-minded, safe in mind, a safe thinker. Thinks after God's own thoughts, thinks after God's own heart. A godly thinker, someone of sound judgment. Someone who's wise. Someone who doesn't waste time daydreaming. Waste his thoughts on useless things. Someone who thinks well. Just. Someone who's equitable. Someone who lives by God's standards. Someone who doesn't mess around with sin. Because he's holy. There's no great stains of sin in his life. An exemplary character. Self-controlled. That's the fruit of the Spirit, you know. Self-control. Stable. Remember that man who Jesus confronted in the tombs? He used to run around naked. He'd cut himself with stones. He'd be chained up and he'd break the chains like a crazy man because he was a crazy man. Came face to face with Christ. And the next people, all, everyone who knew him and feared him, found him clothed and in his right mind. In your right mind as a Christian man or woman, holding fast the faithful word that's been taught. A stickler for doctrine. You've got to be a stickler for doctrine, but note this, it comes right at the end of the list. Isn't it interesting? Some of us might be tempted to put it first. Paul puts it last. Not because it's less important. The point is, being a stickler for doctrine has to make a difference in your life. You see, you can be a stickler for doctrine but live the most unholy life. You can be a stickler for doctrine and have a life of complete ungodliness. You've got to be a stickler of doctrine who lives it, who knows it, who experiences it who is a great example to everyone else in the church of what that doctrine looks like in practice. What does this mean to be like that? 
follow him. Wow. Now there's a challenge. There's a responsibility. Now there's a responsibility that you have as Christian parents to your own children, don't you? They follow you. They imitate you. They mimic you. To a degree, they become you. These leaders in the church, to some degree, ought to be those who when people look at them and follow them, they become them. We mentioned this morning how Titus is he's cut from the same cloth as Paul because he's been with him. Paul's had an influence on him and a good one, the correct one. And that needs to be duplicated in local churches. And it begins by appointing the right men into leadership in the church. Now, there's a lot more to it yet. Wait till we get to chapter two because you all have a role to play. But that's where it starts. Because the church is not to be a place of chaos. The church is not to be a place of disorderliness. The church is to be a place where the, where the truth of God is known and loved and taught and defended and guarded and proclaimed. And we're to be a church faithful, loyal. Do you want to be a part of a church that is all those things and has a long future as much as it depends upon us? Well, here's where it begins, says Paul to Titus. Appoint the right men. Be the right men. Men in the congregation. Churches in every age are going to need men like this. Will you be one of them? Women. Men like this need women like this to stand alongside them. Men like that need women like that to be their wives. You can't just forget this. It's for all of us. Christian character. Get that right. And we're almost there. Well, the Lord help us and bless us.